Good morning. My name is Jesse. I'm the communications director here at uh, Cedar Mill. Uh, it's a role I've been. Thank you. Hi. It's a role I've been in. I'm watching you. For about the last three and a half months, uh, um, at my previous church, uh, a big component of my role was as a as a teaching pastor. And so, um, it's uh, this is a familiar place. This is a, a place I really love to be. Um, and it's been a while, so I'm just going to ask that everybody keeps their expectations low. So I feel like we're all going to walk away good if we do that. Um, we're in a series called Summer in the Psalms, uh, talking about these psalms that are important to us as individuals, as a faith community, but have been so important to the church throughout millennia. And it's exciting to be in this one this morning. This particular psalm, Psalm 40, has been uh, just one of my favorites for a long time, but especially meaningful in the last few years as I've kind of understand more and more the life and encouragement that God wants to give us, wants to give me, wants to give you through this text. So I just want to start by reading it, and we'll kind of dive in a little bit. We're just looking at the first three verses, because it's summer. We don't want to do more than that. Come on. First three verses, Psalm 40, sounds like this. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me, and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock, and he gave me a firm place to stand, and he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. One of the things I love about these three short verses is that it starts with this, I waited, I waited. That's, that's the psalmist's contribution to what's going to happen here. I waited. The rest of it is all about what God does as a result of this waiting. And that is so often the case throughout Scripture, throughout our own experience of God taking something small and making the world changing. Right? God speaks a word and the whole world comes into existence. Right, David takes this little stone, this middle-aged boy takes this little stone and takes out a giant, and his enemy army goes fleeing. A little boy gives two fish, five loaves, or five loaves, two fish, I can never remember. But he gives a lunch, right, to Jesus, and Jesus takes that, and he turns it into food for thousands. Jesus, this one man, this God, fully God, fully man, dies on this cross, and because of this one man's death, all men, all women, all children for all time benefit. Have the opportunity opened up for life, for life. God always does this. He uses these small things, these ordinary things, and he multiplies them to change us, to change the world. This is true of waiting and how we wait. And so much of life is waiting, isn't it? So much of it is being in between something. I don't know if you go to the grocery store anymore, you know, because like Amazon and like all this delivery stuff is so great. We use that because we've got three kids. We don't want to go anywhere. It's like they could grab things and do stuff. So <laughs> delivered, I don't know what it is, but you wait in line there. You wait in line. You ever wait in line at DMV? That's kind of like, that's purgatory. Kind of like, am I ever going to leave this place? Probably not. Um, just waiting, you know, for, for, for Netflix, for season three to come out so you can binge watch it. Not that I've done that. Not that I'm doing that. Not that I'll do that when I get home. 
You're also waiting to maybe hear back, like, what, what does she think of me? What does he think of me? You're waiting for a reply to a text or a call. You're waiting to hear about that job that you really want, that would really make a difference, that would really change the game for you and your family. You're waiting to hear back about the test results. What does this mean for the next few weeks and months and years of your life, depending on how this thing comes back? You're waiting. Maybe you're waiting for... It just feels like life has not really begun for you, not fully that you've got this restlessness. You have a sense that you're made for more. You're made for more, and you know it. And you're not being greedy, you're not being selfish, you just know that God has more, and, and, but it just feels like it's always just right out of reach, or which direction do I go, or any of that. You were just waiting. The image that I have is, is of sort of being between trapezes. If you've ever gone to a circus and seen the trapeze flying through the air, like a, they're leaving one and they're about to grab another, but they're not at either point. They're in between. And this is a picture, a metaphor of life, of our life here on this planet, that so much of life is in between. We're not quite to that thing. We've left that one place, that familiar thing, but we're not quite to the place that's solid. We're in between. But here's the good news in all of this this morning. If you, if you don't catch anything else, if you need, need to tune out at this point, if you need to start your binge watching now, whatever it is, here's the main point. That our God is the God of the in-between. In fact, he does some of his best work in the in-between. Where everything fills up in the air. Where nothing feels particularly solid. Our God is the God of the in-between. And so again, the psalmist Their contribution really is, I waited, which seems a little, okay, a little kind of weak, to be honest. It even says, I waited patiently. I don't know about you, but I know that I rarely wait patiently, right? You know, sometimes like if there's a slow Wi-Fi signal, have you had that experience? I'm barely Christian in that moment, (laughs) Right? How could this not be downloading any faster? I mean, this is whatever year it is. I have no idea. But nevertheless, it should be going faster. We're waiting, but patiently. And there's kind of this picture that, as I've understood it for many years, it's it's sort of this serene picture of just sort of sitting and waiting, perhaps meditating, eyes closed, just like, whatever you want, God. And it's it's almost passive. It's just sort of there, and you're you're waiting. But it's not at all what is being described here. In fact, this kind of waiting is a different kind of waiting altogether. Instead of patiently, a better word for it would be diligently, actively. This kind of waiting matters. In fact, this kind of waiting, it's going to show us in this text, means our our waiting matters. All the in-between matters. All the not knowing, all the not yet there, all the I've left this one place, but I'm not certain about this thing. It all matters in shaping us and shaping the world around us. Your waiting matters, but the kind of waiting matters. So we know this. We know it is not a passive kind of waiting. It's not, I'm just going to not do anything. I'm just going to sit here and see what God does. I'm just going to hopefully just hope it works out. No. This kind of waiting is not passive. It is wholehearted. It is engaged. It is focused. It is energized. It is seeking the answer with a whole heart. 
This is what our kind of waiting looks like. It's not passive. It's wholehearted. It's expectant. It's expectant. It, it anticipates. It hopes for. It doesn't just kind of, it's not wishful thinking. Ah, I don't know how this is going to work out, but God's good, so I guess I'm supposed to just leave it there. And, and he is good. And it's expectant. It knows that there's an answer coming, that there actually is an answer. There is an answer. Do you know that, that in the end, everything is going to be all right? Yep. It's all going to be all right. Which is hard to believe and hard to remember in so many moments of our lives, of course. But the reality is, the, the answer is, it's all going to be okay. It's expectant. It's also relentless. It doesn't give up. It doesn't give up. Even when God seems like he's not there. Even when it seems like God is against you. You ever had that experience? Yes. Seriously, sometimes Wi-Fi does that to me. Like if I'm not getting what I need to get done so I can get my work, it's like, God, come on. And God's like, what? You have wireless internet. Just relax, bro. Um, it's relentless. It doesn't give up. It pursues. It keeps knocking, keeps asking, keeps seeking. That's this kind of waiting. Finally, this kind of waiting is done in community. This is not an all-by-myself, pull-myself-up-by-my-bootstraps, 21st-century North American kind of waiting. This is a waiting done alongside others who are also waiting, who are also in between, who are aware of the reality of things not being yet as they should, and yet they will be. They will be. It's done in community. Eugene Peterson points to the story of Moby Dick, and that's in the great story, and perhaps you were made to read it, perhaps you wanted to read it, whatever it is. There's a, a kind of a final climactic scene where uh, the captain and his crew are, are going out to chase the monster, to get back at this monster, to finally capture, take it out, and, and it's a crazy scene, a chaotic scene, where there is, it's just like a storm going on, and the waves are crashing, and they're like this huge rowboat, and the men are just rowing as hard as they possibly can, and they're just going, and, and just everything is just chaos. And in the middle of that scene, at the front of the boat, is the guy with the harpoon, and he's just watching and waiting. He's not taking his focus off for a second. He's, he's not the guy who's moving along. He's not the guy who's uh, in charge of calling out the orders. He's the guy who's just waiting to throw that spear at just the right moment. This is the kind of waiting that we're talking about. It's a diligent. It's intentional. It's relentless. It's active. Don't know what kind of season of waiting you're in. Everybody's in some form or another. But it's, it's not, this is not a call to, like, just lay down and give up. There might be surrender involved. There might be taking a nap involved. So maybe you do need to lay down. But this is your, your whole heart, your whole life engaged in this kind of living in the in-between, this kind of waiting. So, again, here's what the psalmist does. He waits patiently. He waits diligently. He waits for this kind of waiting. That's it. That's all he does. And then the rest of this text is all about God's response. The rest of this text is all about God's goodness, his power, his creativity, and how the changes that he makes in you become changes for everybody else around you. So it sounds like this. He turned to me and he heard my cry. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me. 
and he heard my cry. When my son Ryder, who is now uh, almost eight years old, when he was about a year and a half year old, and he was hungry, he would make a certain kind of sound. Do you remember the sound he made, Ryder? No? I do. The sound was, because he didn't quite have the words yet, he was about a year and a half old, the sound was, which is super cute the first thousand times. And then after that, you're like, okay, no, I, yeah, no, this is, there's a, every time I hear that noise now, it's like a, a little bit of, yeah. And um, I would hear that noise, and it doesn't matter, even if I wasn't in the room, I knew what he wanted. I knew he was hungry. I, I, I. I knew he was hungry. I knew what he wanted. I also knew that I could provide for him what he wanted. And even though I was frustrated, the kids always have to eat, you know, whatever. <laughs> Nevertheless, I, I, was, I was able to meet his needs. I knew what he wanted even before what he, he expressed that to me. I knew that it had been, you know, so much time had passed and he was tired and whatever it was and he's going to need a snack soon and then he gets there and then I'm able to provide. And, but I turned to him. I, I came out of wherever I was or I turned to him and looked at him directly in the eyes because I want him to know that I hear him. I hear him. I see him. I know what he wants. I know he's hungry. I know what he's asking for. This morning, the Lord turns his face to you, and he says to you, I see you. I see you. I know you're hungry. I know you're hurting. I know what you need. Though you can hardly express it yourself, I know what you need. And I'm working even now to take care of that need, even if it seems like I'm not. And there will be those of you right now who are probably arguing with me in your head, and so here's the voice of the Lord speaking through me. <laughs> I see you. I do. I see you. And I want you to know that I see you, so hear this. And even now, even if I felt distant, even if I feel against you, I'm not, even now, I'm working on it. I'm at work right now to meet that need. Probably in ways you haven't even thought of yet. For a, maybe a hunger you don't even realize you have. He turned to me and he heard my cry. So he says to you this morning, don't give up. Don't let the circumstances define how you think of God. Whether he's close or whether he's against you or any of that kind of stuff. Don't let slow Wi-Fi determine your image of God. Just don't give up. Don't give up. Next it says, he lifted me out of the slimy pit. And I love that image of he lifted me out. This is not the God who comes to the, to the side of, of the pit and, and you know, kind of like shouts encouraging things. Or not so encouraging things. Like, you're in a pit. Hey. You should come out. He doesn't even throw us a rope. That's not the kind of God he is. Here, put this around you. Pull. This is the God who climbs down into the pit, gets down below, and lifts up. He lifted me up out of the slimy pit, out of the very same filth that has us stuck. He lifts us up into freedom, into wholeness, sometimes quickly in a moment, very often not so quickly. Very often it's a process and it takes time. Now, the slimy pit is kind of interesting as well because sometimes it represents just stuff that happens to us 
that gets us stuck. The economy shifts. We lose our job. A loved one passes away. Something happens in our life that we did not plan for, we did not anticipate. Nobody could. And now we're kind of reeling and we're trying to make sense of things and we're, we're trying to put pieces together. We're trying to make sense of things. And very often things happen to us. When I was a teenager, my, my mom started, her body started acting out in weird ways. And, and over the course of two years, she went from walking to using a cane to using a walker to being in a wheelchair to finally being in a hospital bed. Two years. This is a woman who loved to move, loved to walk. And we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. We, and my dad is a pastor, so we had the whole church praying. It's like we, we, had, like, we had all the power there. Like, it's like, God, see, we got the, the numbers here. We could pray and we're asking. I didn't make that happen. It happened to me. Many things have happened to you. Abuse. Divorce. Something your parents did, something your kids did that you couldn't control. And you're just kind of reeling. You're heartbroken. You don't even know what to do. Sometimes that's the pit. More often than not, especially for me and for many of us in 21st century North America, more often than not, the pit is something that I dug for myself. I didn't want to wait for that thing, so I got into debt. I didn't want to take that good advice about that relationship, and so I got into that, and it just hurt everybody. I didn't want to listen to that. I didn't want to wait for that. I didn't want to like, try to be that kind of person. I just wanted what I wanted, and I wanted it now in the way that I wanted it. Slimy pit. And whether the pit has happened to you or you created it yourself, nevertheless, our God is the God who climbs into the pit, gets down below, and lifts us out. He lifts us out, even when we made it ourselves. And he doesn't stand on the edge and, and kind of berate us for it, any of that kind of stuff. Like, we know we screwed up. We know we've got that burden going. He, he says, whatever. Yes, yes, you did. Yep. Important to acknowledge. Now, hold on. Give me your foot. As he gets down below us to lift us up. This is what comes when the psalmist is waiting diligently. Next it says, he set my feet on a rock. He set my feet on a rock. When I was in high school, I lived in Southern California, and so uh, my high school youth group every summer would take a trip to uh, Catalina Island, which is about two hours away from uh, Los Angeles by ferry. We'd go over there. It's beautiful. It's, it's incredible. It's amazing. And um, we went out snorkeling one day. So my friends and I went snorkeling in high school. And um, like to actually go snorkeling, it's, it's, I don't know if you've done it, but it's, it's kind of wild. It's a little like, wow, this fish are big, right? And they get up in your face, and they're not afraid of you, but I'm a little afraid of them. And uh, all my friends, were, they played water polo, or they were on the swim team. They were all really strong swimmers, where I was more of a strong reader. <laughs> and so as a result, we, we get out there, and, and we're kind of doing our thing, and I'm a little freaked out by the fish. But at some point, I realize that this is not, I need to probably get back to shore, so I'm out of gas. I need, to, I need to get back to shore. So I come up with something like, oh, I forgot something. I had a meeting. I don't know what it was. I've got to get back to shore. And they're like, okay, whatever. We'll, we're just going to keep out here because we can swim as much as we want because we're so cool. And so, <laughs> so I started heading back. And, I, and I, despite my effort, it's just I'm not getting much closer. And I realize I'm cutting, cutting a bit of a current that's kind of like keeping me away from the shore, which is not a 
a good thing for someone who's not a strong swimmer, let alone someone who is. And so I'm just, I'm starting to get desperate now. And the main thing I'm feeling, this is, it's not a fear of death. It's a fear of being embarrassed in front of my friends. Like, seriously. To drown in front of, well, there's everybody hanging out with the fish and you're in high school. And it's like, I can't go out this way. I always picture it's going to be like some gun battle or something like, you know, it's like I'm witnessing to hundreds of thousands of whatever it is, but it's, so I'm, I'm just, but I'm, I'm panicking at this point. I'm almost panicking and barely there and just thinking this is, I, I can't believe it. This is how I'm going to go. It's going to go now. And just then my foot touches the ground. Whew. You can't even imagine the relief and the joy of my foot finally touching the ground, solid ground. I wasn't going to die of embarrassment. I wasn't going to die that day. He set my feet on a rock. Many of us are in that place feeling like we're drowning. And no, how, no matter how hard we work, it seems like shore is not getting any closer. In fact, sometimes it seems like the harder we work, the further shore gets from us. You feel overwhelmed, whether with the details or the pain, the loss, the unknowing, whatever it is, we're drowning. We feel like we're drowning. Here's what I want you to know, that God is working even now to get you to shore. Even now, even when it doesn't seem like he is, he's working to get you to shore. But more importantly, our God is the rock. He is the ground. He is the foundation. He's already here. He's already that for us. So even when it feels like we're drowning, the reality is we're like in two feet of water and we just have to put our feet down. On Christ, the solid rock, we stand. That is our hope. God himself is the rock. And the truth is the solid rock has got you. He's got you. I'm not saying you should feel all better about it. I'm not saying you're going to, but I'm, I'm saying nevertheless, the reality is, the unseen reality is he has you. Your feet are on firm ground. Next, he put a new song in my mouth. He put a new song in my mouth. And I wonder, what kind of song are you singing these days? What kind of song? Is it an anxious song? For many of us, that's true. For many different seasons of my life, that's been true. It's a song of worry. How is this going to happen How am I going to make that work? How am I going to get them to like me? How am I going to do what I need to be, what needs to be done? It's it's an anxious song. Maybe it's a a song that is just pure sadness. Just long, long notes of sadness. And you wish you could sing a different song, but the reality is this is all you got. Maybe it's a nice little happy whistle, but you kind of know there's maybe not a lot of depth to it. You have the sense that there's more. There's a restlessness there. You want to sing a different song, but you're not sure even what that melody is. God wants to put a new song in your mouth. Again, the result of waiting well. Putting a new song in our mouths. A hymn of praise, a hymn of hope. A hymn of being able to say God is good no matter what. That this is all going to be okay no matter what. That's the song, and he wants to put that in our mouths. To replace just the old tunes that we're kind of living out. In different ways. He put a new song in my mouth. What did the psalmist do? He waited. He was diligent. He was vigilant. 
He was intentional. He was in community. And the reality is this is all God. This is all his goodness at work. So here's what waiting well does for those around us. Because the reality is this, this, this doesn't just shape us. This doesn't just change us. This isn't just hope for us, although it is that. There's so much more. Like there's a whole other half here. The result of waiting well and what it does for others. First of all, this. It increases our capacity to love and be loved. Waiting increases our capacity to love and to be loved. Think of the pregnant woman. And what a weird thing, first and foremost. But, but that process of this life growing inside that is enlarging, is that making space, like your organs are getting squished into weird places, right, ladies? And it's like, because this new life is forming, it's maturing, it's taking shape, space is growing, that eventually will result in a new life, a new life. Waiting well enlargens us. It's growing us. It's making more room for us to receive love, and it's making more room for us to be loved to those around us, even those of us who, those who would be called our enemies or we would know as enemies. Love grows us. It grows our capacity. It grows our ability for God to be present in us and through us. It enlarges us. Waiting well also makes invisible realities visible. Makes invisible realities visible. Here's what I mean by that. You know, in Scripture it says, they will know we are Christians by our love. In pop culture it says, they will know we are Christians by our t-shirts. <laughs> Here, the idea is, they will know we are Christians by how we wait. By how we live this in-between. By how we deal with this tension. How we live in all the not knowing. How we live in the midst of, this is reality, but only at a certain level, because there's a greater reality than this. And because of that, I have hope. Because of that, I keep moving. Waiting well makes invisible realities visible. It reminds us that this waiting matters. It is not for naught. It is not for naught. Finally, waiting well moves hardened hearts toward the heart of God. Have you ever had that experience of maybe you were at a, uh, a grocery store, you're at a line for tickets or something? I don't know what you're doing, but... You're in that space and then someone like lets you in, like lets you cut a little bit in the line. Like what a blessing that is. Just that little moment, right? They kind of let you, oh, the, you've, you've got more groceries. You've got, you know, a few more groceries than I do. Just here, why don't you jump ahead? <gasps> Thank you so much. You know, it's just like <laughs> it'll change your whole life. That's a small example, this small blessing that happens when somebody wait, waits well. It moves hardened hearts toward the heart of God. It transforms the atmosphere around us. Nelson Mandela, the great South African leader, when he was younger, he just uh, clearly this powerful leader already. His late teens and early 20s. And it, it, no doubt this guy's going to change the world and should change the world. And seemed to have the call of God upon his life to move these things out, whether he was aware of it or not. And, but then he gets in prison unjustly imprisoned, not for a couple years, not for a decade, for 30 years, for 30 years. 
And he has this moment of crisis where he's like, you know, I could get bitter about this. And rightly so. He could burn up in a ball of anger and rage and resentment. And this is unfair because it was unfair. But he decides to wait well. He decides to be changed. To let God work in him. So that eventually God works through him. And when he's released and he just picks up kind of where he left off in some ways, but now he's a different person. He's got a greater capacity to love and to to be loved. And he's reshaped by this waiting. As a result, this entire corrupt system starts to fall apart. It starts to crumble and crash because of his waiting. Not as campaigning. Not as being on Facebook, like telling people how it is. It wasn't Facebook back there. I realize that. (laughs) It wasn't through those things. It was through his waiting. Diligently applying himself to that vigilant waiting on the Lord. Changed everything. Obviously, lots of brokenness there still, but just as there is here. Nevertheless, the kingdom of God broke through in all kinds of ways that wasn't expected because of how he waited. Waiting well moves hearted hearts toward God, toward the things that matter most to him. Let me close with this. I was reading an article not too long ago about uh, trapeze artists. And I don't know if you've ever been uh, to a circus or maybe you were part of the circus, I don't know. And my wife took trapeze lessons when she was a little kid. So I just, I love this. But... um, uh, kind of the whole way that they learn, the way that they train, because you're like, okay, how does this work? How do they get from being, you know, just regular person like us to somebody who can, you know, leap off of this one thing and grab onto somebody else and hopefully they don't have like sweaty arms and like all done with a net or maybe without a net. And it's just amazing, inspiring stuff. And it talks about, it talks to the the coach of these trapeze artists and and says how they get there, the the process is uh, through the harness. So the harness is something they wear if you've ever been rock climbing, if you've ever done, you know, been a trapeze artist yourself. If, whatever it is, it's, it's that thing that's like very confining, very constricting. It kind of squishes and mushes and, and, and keeps you safe, locked into this thing so that you don't splat onto the ground. He says this, the, the net, it can only catch you. It can only keep you safe. It can't teach you how to fly. But the harness... This thing that is so uncomfortable, so constraining, so constricting, that's the thing that helps them learn how to soar. Our in-between is the harness. So often the world doesn't feel like it fits. Our roles don't necessarily feel like they fit. Our relationships sometimes don't feel like they fit. Sometimes they feel confining and constricting. We'd love to just get out of it. We feel like that's the answer sometimes. It's like if we could just get out of this. But here we're reminded that our waiting matters, that our being harnessed matters, that in fact is not just changing us, it's changing the world around us. It's making the reality of the kingdom of God visible. Our waiting matters. Because waiting well really can change the world. God's response in all of this, again, the psalmist does this, God takes that and goes like this. Is essentially what we celebrate when we come to the table, to celebrate communion. We celebrate the God who 
who says, okay, we've left this and we're going there. We're not quite there yet. This has already happened, but not yet this. He bridges that so that we can have life now. We're not waiting for life because Jesus is here. He is now. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life, and the life is now. We're not waiting for that. In between is where the God of the in-between does some of his best work. And so it's with that hope that we come. We don't come with shame or with guilt over what we've done or haven't done. Because honestly, it's not really about that. It's not really about what you've done or what you haven't done. This is about what God's done and who he is. And the fact that everything we're waiting for is summed up in him and is available right now. That's a reason to celebrate. That's a reason to remember. It's not about you. It's about him. And so we can freely come. And as you do in just a moment, just come, take the cup, take a piece of bread. You can go back to your seat. You can eat it and drink it there. You can however you want. This is a chance for God to remind you so that you can be remembered, literally like put back together about how good he is, how present he is, and how it's not over.